0: This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Jonathan Stoddard as he talks about battle rhythms for pastors thriving in the chaos of ministry. Jonathan is pastor of Jordan Valley Church in West Jordan, Utah. This seminar was recorded at the 2021 General Assembly in St. Louis. Let's listen as Jonathan Stoddard discusses thriving in the chaos of ministry.
1: You enter the room and you feel the tension. You check the corners to see the debris from a previous blow up. Your eyes scan each corners and you look at, you see a military aged male, and you look him up and down for any weapons. All clear. But his face is beet red and beads of sweat are rolling down his forehead. On the other side of the room, you see a woman with her arms crossed, staring at the ground. You scan the rest of the room to piece together what just had happened here. And that silence is pierced by an assault from that military-aged male. The woman dodges it and responds with a volley of her own. Your heart rate jumps. Your shoulders tighten uh, as you brace for the next round. Is it urban warfare? Or just your average Wednesday night marriage counseling? (laughs) I mean, sometimes ministry feels like war. And my guess is, given the last year, it's probably felt like that more for you than any other time in ministry. The best plans in combat never survive first contact with the enemy. And in a similar way, the best ministry plans don't survive contact with the congregation. Ministry, like war, is a lot about managing the chaos. Uh, The best ministry plans, as I said, always have to change and adjust to the situation. And it's about learning how to manage the chaos and not letting the chaos manage you. Dealing with what's necessary, but also ensuring it doesn't derail you from the church's larger mission. And what is our mission as church leaders? Well, to borrow from... Paul's words in Ephesians 4, to equip the saints so the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I firmly believe that church leadership is the highest form of leadership. You are shepherding people towards the fullness of Christ. There's nothing higher than that calling. And so how do you keep yourself and your session and your church on that mission, and to borrow again from Paul's words in Ephesians 4, keep you from being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there? I mean, doesn't doesn't that describe so much of your ministry life over the last 16 months? being tossed to and from, side to side, but whatever new, uh, you know, news article or viral video or local congregant wants to interrupt, you know, what your vision for the church is. And this is a big goal for a single seminar. Uh, But my hope is to introduce you to something very practical and something that you could even start doing in the next week, which is this very simple uh, concept called battle rhythms and we used it in the Marine Corps to help manage the chaos of combat and to help keep us on our mission. And in my eight years of vocational ministry, I've kind of started playing with this concept and tweaked it in a way that I found incredibly beneficial for ministry in the trenches. So like any uh, good sermon, I've got three points I want us uh, to look at. First, the need for battle rhythms, and then some examples of battle rhythms, and then third, battle rhythms for pastors. I'm continually struck First point, need for battle rhythms. Continually struck by how applicable things I learned in the military transferred over into ministry in the church. Now, most people tend to think of military leadership, particularly in the Marine Corps, most of all, as just yelling at people, right? And if they don't listen, yell more, or punish them, or make them do push-ups, right? And there is certainly some of that, but actually so much of the best of military leadership is caring for people. It's about taking this ragtag group of folks that normally wouldn't hang out together and forging in them a new and shared identity so that they become a band of brothers, paying them less than they deserve, and working together to accomplish a mission none of them could do on their own. And it will require you to die to yourself and may even ask of your life. And isn't that so much about what church leadership is about, or at least should be? And yet I think the tragedy is for as good as we are at testing and training future pastors in theology, we often drop the ball in testing and training future pastors in leadership. As I said, I believe ministry in ministry it is the highest form of leadership. You are leading people on a journey that has eternal implications. And the good news is that a lot of leadership is actually pretty basic and can be taught and trained. And I want to give you just one tool that I think will help with that. So my goal is that this will be the most practical seminar at GA, no big words or theological uh, concepts, just some very simple things that you can do. One of the things you'll see is that battle rhythms are really just a way to structure habits. And uh, as Angela Duckworth wrote in her book, Grit, she said something like, habits free up cognitive resources so that you can focus on other things. And probably in our vocation as much as any other, we need to protect our own cognitive resources. Now, you're also going to learn that many of what I call battle rhythms look a lot like liturgies. So for all the closet Anglicans here, you can call these liturgies. And for the cage stage Calvinists, these are battle rhythms. Right? Pick whatever term you want and whatever works with you. Well, in boot camp, you spend a lot of time cleaning your rifle. And these rifles have been scrubbed so much that once what was matte black metal, you can see your own reflection in it. You spend an hour marching with your rifle. You go back, you spend 15 minutes scrubbing it clean. You are worn out from a large hump, which is the uh, Marine Corps version of a hike. This is me leading my platoon on a hump on the Big Island in Hawaii, uh, near where we were stationed. And you go out on a hump, and before you take your boots off, you clean up, you eat anything, you sit down and you spend 15 minutes cleaning your rifle. And this is so drilled into me that even now, if I go out to the range and shoot and come back and I eat a snack, before cleaning my rifle, I have this little fear that a drill instructor is going to pop out of my pantry and start yelling at me for taking care of myself before taking care of my gear. Now, why do they drill this habit in you? Some of it's just harassment. But the bigger thing is that it's a habit. It's a battle rhythm that can save your life. Because if you get ambushed. Your rifle had better be ready in working order. You can't just ask, hey, time out for a second. Let me clean my rifle real quick, and then can we get back to the fight? You don't know when you'll be attacked. Uh, This is on a a patrol down uh, the streets of Haditha uh, where we were on our first deployment, and things can go from peaceful uh, to a firefight very quickly. If you don't plan for chaos, chaos will do the planning for you. And I think way too many pastors are barely holding on in ministry because the chaos of ministry is doing all of their planning. When things are chaotic, it's way too easy to push those less pressing matters into the back burner. Oh, well, we can clean our rifles tomorrow, right? We gotta take a break or we're tired or we got this other thing to do. We can check our batteries on our radios later. Let's go do this fun thing first. And so the Marine Corps came up with this idea, and I would guess every branch of service has their own version of it, what we called battle rhythms or liturgies for those so uh, inclined. And these are things that are important that need to get done, but are so easily put on the back burner because of situations that pop up in the day to day. And so, but if they're neglected for too long, they could have disastrous consequences. Battle rhythms are ways of managing the chaos of combat. So just a couple common battle rhythms for us when we were deployed. We had a daily 1800 or 6 p.m. meeting where the key leaders would come together and we'd give a brief update of everything that had happened the past 24 hours and things that were going to happen in the next 24 hours. And we had that meeting every single day. It didn't matter if the commandant, the very highest ranking guy in the Marine Corps, was visiting us or if someone had died just an hour earlier. We would have that 6 p.m., that 1800 meeting to review those things. That was part of our battle rhythm. Uh, we had whip, weekly crypto changes where, I think it was every Friday at 05 in the morning, uh, the cryptographic keys, basically what scrambled our radio messages, would roll to a new set of crypto so that if anyone happened, any of the bad guys happened to get one of our radios, within a week it would be on a new cryptographic key and that radio would be worthless. We did monthly inventories of all of our gear, which was one of the most tempting things to stop doing because we're in combat after all. And yet I learned the hard way that every month I needed to have all of our Marines lay out everything that we were responsible for, all of its accessories, and see that it had been properly maintained because we didn't know when we would need those things. And all of these things, We're easy to skip because we're in combat, right? And things like this became a normal situation where you're driving down the road and you see a truck explode and and catch on fire. You think, maybe I should go deal with that. I don't need to inventory these things. You're drawn to the excitement of that instead of maybe some of those things that easily get pushed to the back burner. And you can see overlap with ministry, I think. So much of ministry feels like the erosion of your lofty plans for what you want to do in your ministry because of all those 9 a.m. phone calls that someone's in the hospital, or this just happened, or someone needs to talk? And how do you lead a church toward their God-ordained calling, mature in Christ, when so much of your time can easily be taken over by complaints? or strange requests, or random theological questions that you get from someone checking out your church? And how do you care for your whole church when just 10% of it has no problem commandeering 80% of your time? But you know that the whole body, and even those that are most easy to forget about, need care. And one of the ways that we deal with this tension I feel it, I'm sure you do as well, is you sacrifice your own soul care because of all those requests. Or you sacrifice the care and time with your family because things are always coming up and you still have your sermon to write, so sorry guys, we can't hang out on Saturday like I said, I've got to finish the sermon. But as you know, probably some of you very intimately, that you might be able to do that for a few months, maybe even a few years but eventually it's gonna have disastrous consequences. And so what often happens in is the greater mission of your church gets put on the back burner because of those pressing needs that break into your plans every day. And this is where battle rhythms can help manage some of this chaos. They allow you to organize your calendar to ensure that you give the proper time to some of those less immediate but very important tasks, while also then sectioning off time to deal with the pressing needs in your church. One of the constants in ministry is chaos. We all know that, collapsed marriages, people leaving the church, things break at the church, volunteers that don't show up. And by the time you've dealt with all those things, now it's Friday afternoon and there's very little time for all the ministry you wanted to do. And you realize, oh man, I still gotta finish my sermon. So how do you keep the chaos of ministry from hijacking the progress of ministry? And how do you keep your congregation moving forward and not letting those people who are just paddling in their own direction from hijacking the mission and the vision of your body, the local body that you're uh, charged to care for? One other thing, I I found in the past couple years just how critical self-control is in ministry. You all know Paul lists that as a qualification in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And I've grown to believe that that also includes self-control with your time. Laziness is such a temptation in ministry. Most of us, we don't have anyone looking over our shoulders. As long as you have a sermon on Sunday and, you know, aren't doing too bad of a job, people are okay. He's doing all right. And I don't mean laziness in terms of just spending three hours a day playing video games when you should be working, although I think that probably happens some, but I mean staying busy with the easy and desirable parts of ministry, which give you a great excuse for procrastinating on the hard but crucial aspects of ministry. Like a conversation with a volunteer who keeps showing up late for the nursery, or a college girl who casually mentions that she started dating this non-believer Addressing those things are important aspects of ministry, but it's no fun to do that stuff. And so it is so easy to fill your day with the things that you just gravitate towards naturally. Oh, I want to hang out with this pastor. I want to hang out with this person. I need to check the—I wanted to read this blog. I need to work on the, the newsletter. I've got to do this thing. I've got to check, you know, see what the latest gossip is on the PCA, PCA Facebook group, right? We want to do all those things, and then it's 5 p.m. up, time to go home. Guess I can't do that hard thing. I'll wait till tomorrow, and you keep putting it off. You can put off those vital but hard parts of ministry indefinitely, or at least until they blow up and you get that 9 p.m. phone call and now you have to deal with it, when maybe you could have staved it off several years earlier. So being self-controlled with your time doesn't just mean that your day is filled with work, but that your day is filled with the important but often difficult work of ministry. And battle rhythms can help create a framework for ensuring that you are continuing to make progress on some of those things. Additionally, battle rhythms help ensure that you spend time on things that are most likely to lead your church to maturity in Christ, the means of grace, The the busyness of ministry, the administration of ministry can push out the very things that will bring growth to your church. I've seen this just personally. I've been floored how God has so blessed our church where we are in, in Utah, where the majority of growth over the last few years has come through conversions. Right, where we're baptizing households, mom, dad, and kids, all getting baptized, and that happens not because of some great ministry we plan we have or some great evangelism push or great program. It happens through the simple work of the word and prayer, reading the Gospel of John with someone, praying for them, and then through that very mundane work, you see the miraculous happening. Right? Eyes light up in faith but so much of your time can get eaten up with those other things where other people are driving your schedules that you end up undermining the very things that will bring growth to your church, ministry of the word and prayer. So that's kind of the first section, why battle rhythms are important. I think you guys all know that. I wanna look now at just giving you some examples of ones in the military and what we can learn from them. So, during the second four years of my time in the Marine Corps, uh, I was the platoon commander for a communications platoon uh, of an infantry battalion. So, an infantry battalion is kind of the basic fighting unit of the Marine Corps. It's made up of about 1,000 guys, and we swelled to about 1,500 Marines and sailors for our deployment. And I had about 85 Marines in uh, my platoon, uh, ranging from guys that carried radios on patrol. So this is us celebrating uh, Christmas with some of my platoon in uh, the Haditha Dam, which is right on the Euphrates River, uh, in 2006. Uh, I had guys that, these are some of my guys getting ready to head out, uh, the radio guys that would carry on their backs the radios and manage uh, medevacs and and other things like that. Uh, From them to Uh, The uh, nerdy Marines who typed on computers and kept all of our data networks up and going that were crucial for medevac requests and intel reports. Uh, To maintenance Marines, this is one of my guys getting ready to hop on a helicopter to go uh, get some gear repaired to wire guys who basically, their job was unchanged since World War II, where if you've seen any old school movies where they have a big spool of wire, and the guy is like running from fighting position to fighting position, stringing out this wire to set up a telephone, we still did that back in 2007 (laughs) to create uh, basically telephone loops between guard posts, because that was one of the most reliable means of communication. And so, some of our battle rhythms were, a crypto change every Friday morning, like I mentioned. Uh, all of our radios were encrypted, so that you couldn't just buy a police scanner, tune to our frequency, and eavesdrop on all the uh, communications within the unit. And every week at zero 05, we'd change to a new set of crypto, uh, that, so that the enemy, if they somehow got hold of one of our radios without us knowing it, it would only work for up to you know, six days before we rolled to a new crypto set. And so it was Thursday afternoon. We were going to roll the, the new crypto set the next morning. And the platoon commander for the scout sniper platoon came to me and said, hey, uh, we just inserted a sniper platoon last night, or a sniper team last night, to overwatch this intersection where we kept seeing a lot of roadside bombs. bombs. And they brought the Crazy 10, which is this device that held the crypto, but they forgot the cable that attaches that device to the radio so it was basically worth it, worthless. And come 05 that next morning, the sniper platoon would not be able to communicate with anyone, which for snipers, radio communications are their lifeline. If their position is compromised, if they take a casualty, being able to radio in for help made the difference between someone dying there and someone surviving. So here we had this dilemma. What do we do? We could postpone the crypto rollover for the sake of their snipers, so that they could still talk to us. Now this is probably the type of solution we tend to go with in the church. We pause the greater mission for the sake of a couple people who are complaining, or aren't getting along, or whatever it is, and we, we, we reorient the whole mission of the church to this minority. Now, I was just recently talking uh, with another pastor out in Utah, Daniel McKenney, and he mentioned this book that he'd read about how empathy is often a liability in ministry. And uh, I, I love that, uh, personally, because I'm not always the most empathetic guy. And, and empathy, to a right level, is important. But it can hamstring us, because many of us, we get into ministry because we love people, But we can actually hurt the majority of the people we're supposed to lead because we're so focused on a minority that everyone else is suffering. I mean, how often do we backtrack on a decision that we made because a couple people complained? Or how often do we have extra meetings because the session made a decision and some people didn't like it, and now we're bending over backwards to try to appease everybody, or we change the decision, or every two weeks we change the decision? I mean, I think the last 16 months, has shown how bad many churches are at making decisions and sticking with it and the process of that. Well, so going back to our situation, we couldn't pause the whole crypto rollover because of this one sniper team. All of the military in Iraq rolled crypto together. And so if we didn't do that, we would then cut ourselves off from crucial medevac helicopters, supply lines, other key resources we couldn't stop the crypto rollover because some four snipers had forgot a cable. The battle rhythm created a problem for us, but it also helped us figure out what was most important, rolling the crypto. We needed to adjust to the crypto rollover instead of having everyone else adjust to the sniper team that forgot the cable so we came up with a plan we took an old mre wrapper which are the you know the kind of food stuff that we would eat <laughs> and we stuck the cable in it so it would look just like a piece of trash and then we had a convoy roll by the sniper position at night and when they were close to where they were, they would throw the MRE wrapper out with the cable inside it onto the road, or the side of the road, and the snipers would be watching it. And then after we left, one of them would crawl in, grab the cable, and crawl back. And amazingly, it all worked. <laughs> and zero 05 that next morning, they rolled crypto with everybody else. Battle rhythms help us know what our priorities are. And there's something we can learn in ministry. Are you making your decisions and setting your calendar in line with the things that are most important or maybe the things that are maybe most expedient or most desirable or easy to do? Are the priorities of your day aligning with these bigger picture goals that you have or are they always being tossed to and fro by whatever happens that morning? is the way that you're spending the time in line with God's priorities for the church. Creating battle rhythms, these habits, these cycles that align with those things help protect that even in the chaos of combat, you're making sure you're spending your time where it matters. One more battle rhythm example. On our second uh, deployment, the weapons, or we call them Whiskey Company, uh, had a platoon out at an outpost some 15 kilometers away from uh, their COC. So this is uh, an example. This is a combat operations center my Marines set up. You can kind of see all the radio antennas that we set up which we learned in Iraq make really good targets for mortars. Um, But inside the little tent there, uh, there would be some of my Marines on the radio. And every hour, one of our battle rhythms is you get on the radio, and you would call in to do a radio check with every single unit that's outside the wire. So it goes something like this. Uh, Whiskey 4, this is COA-COC, radio check over. And you would expect the response to be something like, COA-COC, this is Whiskey 4, read Jalima Charlie. And you would do that for every single unit that was outside uh, the wire to ensure that you had contact with them. And then you would usually have somewhere in your COC a chart showing all the units that are outside the wire and the last time you had contact with them so you could keep track of it all. And if you didn't hear from them, you'd wait a few minutes, try again, and then after a certain period of time, you would send the QRF, the Quick Reaction Force, to go and check on them physically to make sure everything was okay. Because if you didn't have radio contact, well, worst case scenario meant that their position could have been overrun, all of them were captured or killed, more likely someone had just fallen asleep or didn't know how to use the radio or whatever. But you needed to make sure that you didn't want to find out that they didn't know how to use the radio when they needed to use the radio. You wanted to be proactive with that. And so this whiskey platoon wasn't responding. The time uh, allotment went past that window, and so we sent the QRF to them, and lo and behold, nothing was wrong. The guys on the radio just didn't know how to use it. And we sorted out that problem and regained radio contact. Now this case of these battle rhythms, every hour radio checks, helped us ensure that every unit out there had a way to reach their higher headquarters. So that if they needed help, they need a medevac, they need reinforcements, they could get it. And in the chaos of combat, where there's always so many things going on, a radio check would be one of the easiest things to forget about. Oh, it's been four hours. We've never checked in on them. And yet, by making it a rhythm, you ensured that it happened and prevented any minor issues from becoming life and death issues. And it's not too hard to see the crossover to ministry. Whether you have shepherding groups or however you do it in your church, having that habit of regularly checking in on every member ensures that no one falls through the cracks, right? To prevent little problems from becoming bigger problems. And you know, when someone doesn't show up for a few weeks, if you're like me, you're probably worried, oh, maybe are they upset about something I said, and they're gonna leave the church now, and you think of every worst case scenario, and then you finally call them, and well, they were just out of town, and got sick afterwards, and didn't tell anyone, and they'll be there next Sunday, right? But even in that situation, where it's no big deal, they learned, Somebody's thinking about them. Somebody's watching out for them. There's always people in your church that have no problem texting you at 10 p.m. with a request. Right? They're not the ones you need to worry about. It's the other 10% of the people that are struggling in the background and won't reach out. And just a simple touch shows that you're caring for them as well. It honors their presence. So regular radio checks, shepherding calls, Whatever it might be, it lets everyone in your church, from the loudest to the quietest, know that you're on their mind and you care for them. All right, let's get to our last point here. Battle rhythms for ministry. This is where it's going to get very practical. Uh, I've set up quarterly, monthly, and weekly rhythms that I use in ministry. And at the end of this, I'll have my email up. So if you want mine, just email me and I'll send it to you. So I'm gonna run through these pretty quickly, and then there'll be time for questions if you want me to elaborate. Quarterly rhythms, big one is what I call detached time, which is just, I wanna take that 10,000 view look at our church, where are we going? What are the things that we're not doing we need to be doing? What are the problems on the horizon? And so I take a half a day or so to get out of the office go to some other environment where I can think about these things. And every one of these rhythms I manage just very simply through scheduled and snoozed emails in Gmail. So at the first of every quarter, bam, in my inbox at 8 AM on Monday, I've got an email that says, scheduled attach time. And I snooze that email for three months, and then I look at my calendar and find some place where I can insert that in uh, to you know, ministry over the next couple months. Monthly battle rhythms a fast and a prayer walk. This is one I haven't done, I've I've gotten better at, I'll say that, but I usually will try to fast for part of the day, if not all the day, go on a walk on a nearby trail, uh, pray through a psalm, pray through other things that are on my mind, and take a few hours uh, just in praying and preparing my soul uh, with the things that I've been wrestling with. I also, monthly one is lunch with a deacon. We have three deacons and so every quarter I had a face-to-face meeting or lunch or whatever with every deacon. Uh, Every month I also meet with all of our elders. We have three elders, and so ideally every month I've scheduled some time to meet with every one of them. Uh, And then on the first of the month, like the quarterly ones, I get an email reminder with all of those things, and first thing Monday morning, all right, I look at my calendar and let me pencil in time for all these things that I'm planning to do, my meeting with each elder, my meeting with the deacon, my fast time. And so the idea is that then as other things come up in ministry, it's not squeezing out the things that I've already planned to do, right? But I'm working around those battle rhythms instead of just, you know, delaying them. My weekly rhythms, uh, I call, I've got Monk Monday, which is where I go through a quarter of the directory and pray for everybody. And anybody that I haven't seen in a few weeks, I uh, go and do a radio check with them. Hey, how are you? Everything okay? I I used to sit where the people would sit in in the actual sanctuary as a way to help me focus and do it. Kind of got away from that, but that was a great way to help me not get distracted, which is very easy for me to do. I've got thankful Tuesdays. So I reach out every Tuesday, get that reminder, Tell someone, hey, thank you for doing that. A volunteer really made a, uh, one of the visitors feel welcome. I email that volunteer say, thanks, I love it when people do that. I wish more people would do that. Thank you for doing that. Or someone prays in a small group who usually doesn't pray because they're afraid to do it. Tell, send them a, a note on, on Tuesday, man, thank you for praying. That was great. The goal is that every week, someone in the church hears from me for something that I'm thankful for, right? which probably so many of you guys know, it is so easy to forget to encourage people. Birthday Wednesdays, uh, Our one of the folks in our church has made a bunch of birthday cards that poke fun of quirks that we have in our church and quirks about me. And she hands me a stack of all the birthdays that are happening in the church over the next week. And I write a little note for everybody in it. And then uh, we mail them off over the uh, upcoming week so that everybody gets a birthday card, a handwritten note from the pastor. And you're showing that you care for people. You know, one little side note with battle rhythms, they work really well when you involve others. Like if I had to stamp and address all of those cards, I guarantee everyone in the church wouldn't get a birthday card. But having something, our administrator hand me the stack with them I'm all ready to go, and I just gotta write a note and send it out, it helps keep me accountable with it. I've got Ownership Thursday, which is where I identify one thing that I need to address, but I really would just rather avoid. Maybe it's a, a nursery volunteer that keeps showing up late. Maybe it's someone who hasn't shown up for a while and you need to talk to them about removing their name from the rolls. Maybe it's reaching out to someone who, who said something that was concerning and you need to follow up. It's where I take ownership of something that is happening in our church that shouldn't be happening. And don't underestimate like, how much you can improve the culture of your church by just tackling one small issue every week and making a habit of it. One other side note, make these battle rhythms fit with your own schedule and quirks and personality. When I first planned it all out, I had Tackle Tuesday and Thankful Thursday, because it sounded good, right? But what I learned is Tackle Tuesday didn't work as well as Ownership Thursday, because on Tuesday it was way easy to just procrastinate on that hard conversation that I didn't want to have. Whereas on Thursday, which is the start of my weekend, I say, I can't leave and enjoy my weekend until I do this unpleasant task, and it's way more likely that I do it then. Nothing in this list is revolutionary, but it's the power of habit that makes these things, uh, gives them momentum, right? That you're filling out your schedule ahead of time with those key parts of ministry so that as other things show up, you're putting it in between it instead of stifling it out or, or hijacking it or letting it hijack your schedule. And so that whatever chaos happens during the week, I've already blocked out time for some of those important things in the life of the church that would be so easy to cut. And having that stuff on your calendar makes it way easier to tell someone, hey, you know what? I can't meet with you this week. I, I, my calendar's full, but can we meet next week? And that works for 99% of the people. Right? It's usually you or just me who feels bad about having to say that. And you'll notice so many of these rhythms are people-focused, right? They show that you care. which we all care, but it is so easy to forget to show that to people. And by making a habit of it, you can, you can do it. And these little things, over the months and years, can add up to huge gains. Because when you do have to have that tough conversation, you've been investing in that relationship in little ways over the years of ministry so that you have a leadership capital there that might make the difference between that person listening or leaving or when you're in a tough time during the church, right? Like when there's a pandemic and people fight whether it's a real pandemic or not. And then there's an election and people fight whether, you know, who really was elected or not. And yet, I mean, what I've witnessed in our church is that having leadership that cares about the people and has invested in them in little ways over the years creates a culture of trust and love. I've been so humbled over the last 16 or so months where we had maybe two complaints about COVID in that entire time. And I'm sure other people complained. They just didn't tell it uh, to the leadership. But it was amazing. I was talking. Actually, one of our elders is sitting back there. He and I were talking. We both said, like... We're gonna be kind of sad when COVID is over because of all the amazing things we see happening here. Where families are coming to faith, the church is moving on in its mission, right? The chaos of it didn't sidetrack us. It it allowed us to continue on and see amazing things that might not have happened otherwise. And our people trusted us in a way that was humbling. I'm a great procrastinator. Uh, I need habits, which battle rhythms are just another fancy word for. So you can actually turn any ministry work into a battle rhythm. This is what I've done uh, with my sermons. So Monday morning is sermon prep. Every Monday, I know I've blocked out two hours to three hours for sermon prep, and my goal is by the time I go home at the end of the day that I've got a rough outline for the sermon for the next Sunday. Tuesday morning, I go to a coffee shop, and I do what... You know, every missional person says you shouldn't do about, like, making friends and being friendly. Like, I don't want anyone to know I'm a pastor. I don't want anyone to know uh, that I love Jesus. I'm just there to write my sermon and ignore everybody else, right? So I go someplace where I won't be known, and I work on the sermon so that by the time I leave for lunch, I've got a rough draft of the sermon. I don't think I've ever canceled that uh, in my eight years of ministry. Thursday morning, I edit the sermon, cut it down to size, and then I review it again. Saturday, review it one more time, Sunday again, and give the sermon. And I don't think I've ever had a time where I'm working on a sermon on Friday or Saturday, where no matter what happens during the week or how many people die in the church, the sermon's pretty much done by Tuesday at noon. Battle rhythms help ensure that you keep the most important parts of ministry uh, at the front, to help you to lead the church and not be pushed to or fro by every wave or thing that happens in the church. So to wrap up, uh, one last thing. Battle rhythms are an act of faith. During my two tours in Iraq, we went through a a lot of hard things. This was the memorial for uh, Lance Corporal James Shamron. He was in my platoon and was killed uh, by a roadside bomb just a few days after we showed up. Uh, I had many friends, my mentor and boss, Uh, were all killed over there. I went, um, had the opportunity to go back to Hawaii where I was stationed uh, a couple years for a presbytery meeting and went by our uh, old unit areas and I got to see this memorial of all those guys that got uh, killed over there. And it was tough. And in those moments when your head is spinning from the pain and the anger and the loss, it's in those moments that battle rhythms turn into liturgies. They guide you when you don't know what to do. Their momentum pushes you to the next thing when you don't want to do anything, and they keep you moving forward towards the goal. All right, it's time for that radio check. All right, it's time to roll the crypto. And that's all the more true for ministry, where we often feel alone. We're not sure if what we do makes a difference. Sometimes we don't know if we believe it. These battle rhythms, these liturgies give you something to do, a small act of faithfulness, when it's easy to waste hours. And that's the beauty of the means of grace, which so many of these are tied into. Those small acts of faithfulness, word, prayer, and sacrament, and the things that are tied to them, they're so small. But I think that is part of the point of it, and you guys know this, that God makes those little things do more than you can ask or imagine, And their efficacy isn't tied to you and your ups and downs, or your depressions and your apathies, but tied to the one who is faithful. Brothers and sisters, one day your church, which maybe feels like it's barely making it right now, you will look up one day and because of his faithfulness, see a body that is attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And you'll be humbled by how those little acts of faithfulness over the decades did way more than you can imagine.
0: You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.